Press Box Banter is the Daily Iowans weekly sports podcast. Each episode, we will talk about local and national sports, host a special guest, and talk predictions for upcoming games. This week's edition features Scott Docterman, a staff writer for The Athletic, who shares his decades of experience covering a variety of sports and his favorite moments from his career. All right, welcome back to another episode of Press Box Banter. Um, I'm Matt McGowan, a sports reporter. Hello, I'm Kenna, and I'm the sports editor. I almost said reporter. <laughs> I'm Colin, and I am a sports reporter, I guess. <laughs> anyway, so uh, obviously we record this podcast in advance, so unfortunately we did not get the chance to talk about Caitlin Clark breaking the NCAA uh, women's basketball all-time scoring record, but all of us um, at least attended or saw the game uh, that Thursday against Michigan, and Starting off with Colin, who was there covering it in in uh, he was in press row. So it was definitely a hectic night, but it was definitely a memory to be had. Very unique experience. Um, so yeah, I definitely definitely witnessed history. Um, met Theo Vaughn. Add that to the, check that off the list. Um, but yeah, it was it was not usually the the games have like. You know, a set vibe to them, and they, they usually follow that vibe every kind of game. This was completely different. This felt like the Super Bowl. Um, I mean, it kind of was. So, well, Colin, where you were uh, sort of frantic, frantically writing and being behind on your work, I was. You know, I had to. I was assigned to go write about fans' reactions to her breaking the record, and. <laughs> For the Daily Island as well as NBC Sports, so I was kind of trying trying to write two stories, and that's not <laughs> big shot over here, buddy. <laughs> well, I w- well I was assigned to you know, get fan reactions to that game, and so before I got there like an hour early, talked to some fans, talked to fans at halftime. Even though I will say, I don't know why they had to do this. It was probably mar- good marketing on their part, but to have the football and cheerleading like halftime show. Really screwed me up because everyone was so locked in on that. And I was like, if they were so they were so locked in, their eyes were they were glued to the floor, and I didn't want to like go up and try to talk to someone while they're trying to watch this spectacle of cheerleaders and football players doing some elaborate dance. But elaborate. it was pretty. Yeah, Drew Stevens was having he, he was ha- he was having himself a time. But so obviously uh, with talking talking with fans, you know, talked with some obviously some senior citizens, like a parent and her kid. Um, you know, by talking to people, you find out that there's some there's some interesting stories. So, um, talked to this one mom and uh, her kid, and so her kid he had seen some Iowa men's basketball games this year, and they lost both those games. So the kid was like, you know what, I want I want to go watch like some uh, a win. So wow. let's go watch the. Uh, that's what I'm saying. Hey, that's great. That's that's what I heard. This is just some reporting. So the kid is like, hey, why I want to go watch a win? Can can we go to the women's basketball game? So his birthday was in January. And so his parents are looking online for tickets in December, and they're like, "All right, all the weekend games are just cost way too much." So they're like, "Hey, here's a weekday game Thursday uh, against Michigan. Um, let's just put our money down, buy this ticket." And so they end up going to the game where she breaks history. They they found they just booked it so far in advance. They didn't know at the time, but when the day came around, they were down to witness history. So that was honestly a cool story I heard. Um, but yeah, just everyone's fans, just the way see seeing the way that Caitlin Clark just leaves that impression on them, just how much they've come to see 
um, the evolution in Iowa, in Iowa women's basketball. Everyone was just so shocked to see this many people here at a game. I was talking to people saying like, "Hey, there was like, there was there was like two thousand people here, only like ten years ago," and to see such a change is truly remarkable. And at the same time, um, just a role model that Caitlin Clark is for um, for young girls out there. Um, I was talking to people. They said I had she like watching her play just gives me more confidence in my own game. And yeah, that's just that's something you can't really teach. And her breaking the record just broadcasts that out for the entire world to see. And now, yeah, where were you? Yeah, I was at home with the flu. Ouch. Um, <laughs> Uh, I actually, I, I did have tickets. I bought them originally, like, when student tickets first came out. Um, but my cousin, it was her 17th birthday on February 6th, and she's plays basketball and has for a while. She likes the Iowa women. And um, my aunt texted me and was like, is there any way that we can get tickets, whatever? So I gave her my student tickets. For her birthday, and that was like her surprise, whatever. So, I did not have tickets, but I also didn't feel good. But if I wasn't sick, I would have found my way in somehow. Um, but yeah, I just watched it at home, and cried a few times, and yeah, it was awesome. I really like a lot of people were complaining that it was on Peacock, but like I have Peacock, and I thought it was really cool that they showed like everything after the game, the ceremony and stuff. Um, obviously sad that I wasn't there in person, but I'm going to the Ohio State game, the very last game of the year. That should be very fun, so. And you're going to Indiana. I am. I am going to Indiana tomorrow. Is that going to be your first women's game you've covered? Yes. Really? Yes. There you go. Check it out. I am actually, I'm pretty, I'm pretty excited. Don't you want to go to like all the Big Ten arenas too or something like that? Wasn't there something you said you wanted to uh, do? Main, like football, football stadiums. Football. Yeah. But Assembly Hall. Assembly Hall is still a But yeah, I'm, place. I'm, I'm pretty hyped actually to go. After the game there was, um, what was it? There was a video of everyone like congratulating her. Um, it was really just Iowa people though, like former players yeah. and all the coaches, some of her teammates and then her family. Um, and then she quote unquote kind of took the mic or whatever. She like spoke a little bit. Um, they started chanting one more year. The fans started to chant one more year. Um, they gave her like a commemorative basketball and then in uh, at some point during this process, they were handing out like uh, Des Moines Register papers with her like picture on them, um, and then T-shirts like Nike T-shirts. I need um, one of those. I want one of the posters from the Des Moines Register. No, the no. Nike poster. Give those out for free. Oh, where it was one, yes. per, one per person, unfortunately though. Even though I could have gotten one per person. How do they? What how do they regulate her? that? And, uh, that's a good point. I could have gone back and actually. Damn, I should have yeah. had one of you guys give me one. It said her or something, what was it? I don't remember. You break no. it, you own it. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. You break it, you own it. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, that was, that was kind of it in so many words. There was, like, confetti or whatever that, like, blew out in the middle. It was, like, 4th of July or something. I don't know. That, that threw me off. I was like, all right. 
it did kind of feel like the Super Bowl though. Confetti, T-shirts, nice you got the newspapers. Yeah. It's like it, it's it had a really like a different feel to it. Matt, how about you talk about your men's basketball team that you cover? Well, <laughs> two so, quad one wins in a row. That is true. That is true. Unfortunately, I was not there for the Wisconsin game when Tony Perkins hit that game winner in overtime. But obviously, watching the highlight, just a dribbles into the defense, lose control of the ball. And, you know, actually early, earlier in the game, Tony Perkins was the first Hawkeye subbed out of the game. He had, he committed a turnover. Fran pulled him. Brock Harding came in. So it wasn't off to – even in the first half, his numbers weren't weren't very good. But, you know, in the second half, um, he turned it on. He, del- he delivered in the clutch. And, you know, it just when it seemed like it could be – the game could be lost when as the ball hit the deck. Um, he managed to, he managed to gra- grab the rock and – Put it in the cup for the win. So Look at these it, terms. That's right. I'm using that. It's called vocabulary. There you go. So, I mean, that win was huge. I'm surprised that was a quad one win. I mean, I guess because Wisconsin was ranked at the time. But Wisconsin had lost four or five games at that point. Um, they were on the decline. They're still on the decline. I don't know. I don't know if they beat Maryland last night. But, but hey, whatever. You, get, you play who's on the schedule. And Iowa got it done. They, they managed to deliver in the clutch and even more so and more importantly um on tuesday against michigan state on the road managed to get managed to get a win get, to get a win as well they're up at halftime and in their last home game against Mer- last road game against maryland they were also up at halftime but unlike the game against the terrapins um the hawkeyes never trailed that entire that entire second half and 178 um, 71 owen freeman Got his still fouls are still an issue for him. I mean, he had four fouls on Tuesday. He had two in 25 seconds. Um, but in the last two minutes, Fran subbed him in the game. Um, he had an assist on Peyton Sanford's um, layup, and then he scored late and scored later on. So I mean, that's a sign of growth for him, being able to produce in, in the in crunch time like that. Um, and yeah, they're seeming the, the that big three of. Um, Perkins, Sanford, and I would say at this point it's got to be, I'd say Owen. I mean, because Ben Cricky was, was supposed to coming into the year. Ben Cricky is supposed to be a scorer. Obviously, he he led the Missouri Valley Conference in scoring. Uh, I wouldn't say he's taken a back seat this year, but I think over the past few games now, um, Owen Freeman's kind of stepped up in that role per se. But um, Cricky still had a great game. He had, he had a double double against Michigan State. So obviously, he's still. <laughs> He's still, he's still good, but I don't know. People say the Fran McCaffrey fade occurs every February, but it doesn't look doesn't look like it this year. At least so far, so far, so good. Uh, Cricky has to keep rebounding like he did against Michigan State. Mm-hmm. Uh, the past few games, I don't know the exact numbers, but he hadn't had double figure rebounds in a long time, and. He had 14 against yeah, Michigan State. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think they got to at least go 3-1 and one to end the season if they want to keep their tourney chances alive. And, I mean, they can't lose in the first round of the Big Ten tourney. They, no. I think they at least have to win one or two games. Mm-hmm. I mean. Yeah, the schedule is Illinois twice. Those, those will both be quad one opportunities 
Northwestern, which could also be a quad one, and then at home against Penn State. So the Penn State's a must win. Like, you, you have to beat Penn State. Of course, they didn't the last time um, in Happy Valley. But <sighs> ideally, uh, something it would be split against Illinois, beat Penn State, beat Northwestern. I don't know if that happens. Northwestern's got a solid team, especially because that, that'll be on the road, I believe. Um, so, in my opinion, they're going to go 2-2. Two and two. Um, and but with the 2-2 two two record, they got to win multiple games. If, the if they go 2-2, two and two, I think they probably have to. They got to make the championship or win oh. the title, I think. I'm sorry, I couldn't, I couldn't resist. <laughs> I did my best. Apparently, though, the... Uh, the men's basketball team had a player-led meeting. They did. did you see that? They did. Which, player-led meetings are undefeated. I swear that works in every single sport. Every single time that happens, every single team plays better. Like, I don't know what it is, but in my experience, like at the high school level and, I mean, the football team had a player-led meeting and stuff. How'd that work I out? I think, well. I don't know. I'm just curious. How'd it work out? I mean, it, they had, they got to the Big team? Ten. No. Oh, oh, th- I, thought, I thought you meant. Oh, okay, but you were not. Okay. okay. I didn't even go to Dowling, y'all. The Washington, I don't need I have no Washington. clue. <laughs> no, I was talking about the Iowa football team. Okay, you just said high school. I just they had going. a team meeting. Okay. okay go ahead. So, yeah, just players only time. meeting. The, they had it after the loss to Maryland. Um, who was there? Tony Perkins was there. McCaffrey. Patrick McCaffrey. Connor McCaffrey is there. Not on the team anymore, but the first comment on Twitter said, close the yearbook, Connor. But uh, that, that, um, Iowa but, fans don't want to admit that he's actually very basketball smart. And um, y'all, they are they are hurting without him this year. What's that? Just, and believe what was like, said. Just that, in terms of leadership okay. and, like, basketball smarts. Like, he would, like, check it and just chuck a three up, and I'd be like, yeah, right, I mean... Doing? Oh, well, Tony Perkins said at that meeting, he allegedly said, Maryland bullied us, and it's time to be the bully. So, we'll see how that works out for them down the stretch. It's on us. And, uh, <laughs> Coach, I touched the ball. <laughs> We're here today with... Uh, athletic reporter covering the Iowa Hawkeyes and um, former adjunct professor at the University of Iowa teaching sports writing in 2017. Scott Dockerman. Scott, how are you? I'm doing terrific, Colin. Thanks for having me here. All right. So I guess starting off, uh, I know what got you into journalism in the first place? Wow. that's uh, I, I'm old compared to you guys, I have, and that's why I hate to kind of date myself here. But um, I always kind of liked journalism. I liked reporting. I mean, this includes going back to my high school days. I'm from Burlington, Iowa, and when I was growing up, I worked for the high school newspaper. I also played sports, and um, and then my sophomore year, I won a state award, and I was, I was kind of blown away by that. I didn't think it was that good, but um, the more I got into it, the more interested I became in journalism, and then Ultimately, my senior year of high school, I quit the soccer team. I was the backup goalie, uh, so I could start working for the daily newspaper in Burlington, which was sizable at that point. Just answering the phone, uh, right on occasion, I got to go cover a couple of live sporting events, and uh, really just kind of fell in love with it from there. Went through college, worked there, and 
And then uh, I graduated in 1997 and from Western Illinois and have kind of bounced around uh, several different places, but I've been at The Athletic now since 2018. Um, I was at the Gazette for 10 years. I worked in Muscatine, Fort Dodge, and St. Joseph, Missouri for six. I covered the Chiefs, and I was the sports editor there from 2000 through 2006. And, but yeah, I've been, uh, I've been here now five and a half years at The Athletic, and almost from about a year after it started up. So what was like the first like sporting event you remember covering? Covering, gosh. Uh, I would say uh, in some ways it may be a little bit unethical when I think about it, but when I was with my, um, when I was with the Burlington Hawkeye working, I covered um, high school tennis and uh, they were also several of my friends <laughs> that I went to school with. So I wasn't exactly objective, I could, I could say, but uh, that was the first event that I really covered. But I, I raised my hand for just about anything I can do. I did baseball, high school baseball. I did some other sports during that summer when I was 18 years old and, and then ultimately, um, you know, kind of moved up the ladder. I, I switched to different uh, types of journalism throughout my career. I, I covered cops and county government for a year, did a lot of, did some political reporting while I was at the Gazette for the first couple of years. I was, I was actually officially uh, enterprise and investigative sports reporter, but I also worked on the news side. So I did a lot of murders. I did a lot of uh, Saturday reporting. A lot of times it was, you know, pretty challenging, but um, you know, since about 2008 through 2016, I covered Iowa's teams, and uh, and as well as doing kind of the off the off the field type of investigative pieces. And then at the Athletic, it's kind of a smorgasbord of mostly Iowa, but a lot of uh, Big Ten and uh, you know college sports. So how do you adjust to like shifts like that? Shifts like that where you're like you were reporting on sports, but now you got to talk about politics. It's difficult, but sometimes it's the same thing within the sports genre. I mean, I'm sure you guys deal with it a little bit when you're going from a women's basketball game to a football press conference and you're trying to back, go back and forth and, you know, kind of move the different parts of your brain to make sure that you understand what you're talking about. Now, uh, some of the things I really praise for working that type of, in those types of genres, whether it's politics or county government or police or courts or what have you is you learn a different level of reporting and it's kind of easy to get stuck in a rut when you're covering say a major university like the University of Iowa where all the uh, the ability to interview people it's right there for you it's like hey we're gonna bring these people out at this time before the game after the game here are all the stats here's a, a wealth of knowledge in a, in a media guide so it, now it's just up to you to how you report it and um, and the way you write it. Whereas if you're reporting for police or, or government, and a lot of times people don't want to talk to you. You have to, and there's not a, a media guide for the number of arrests in the last year. You have to go out and get that information. And, you know, politics is very polished. It's, it's even more, um, you know, there's even more coach speak, if you will, from political candidates than there are from coaches themselves. So I think, uh, you know, a lot of spin. So you learn how to report doing that. And I think that you do learn how to report covering high school sports too, because a lot of times it's late night. There's, you know, maybe you'll get a scorebook, look at a scorebook to, to write down your, the information, but uh, largely it's on you to, to what kind of story you get. 
Do you have a favorite athlete that you've covered? I have several. It's hard for me to parse, and you know, I, you know, after a while, you get to know a lot of these athletes, and, and as they're growing up, and you know, see them grow from being 17, 18 years old, or even earlier, if they're, you know, if you recovered them a little bit in recruiting, to them becoming graduates and then in, in professional leagues. I mean, you know, I, I'll start with George Kittle. Um, I got to know him when he was 18 years old, and uh, he worked as an intern at KCRG in the summer. I think after his freshman year and, uh, you know, just short hair at that time, pimples. I mean, looked so far away from what he is today. But then, you know, got to know him over time and knew his family and uh, stayed with him for the two days of the draft. Uh, so I was there when he was drafted and reported that. And then we've stayed, I don't know if close, but certainly in touch over the years. You know, at least a couple times a year I'll talk to him or text with him. And uh, he would probably be the first. And then... Uh, you know, it's, it's hard not to like some of the athletes that have come through here in recent years. They've been all, you know, just just genuine human beings. I think more than anything, I, I think of Jack Campbell or Sam Laporta. I think of, you know, an assistant coach here, I, Matt Gatins. I covered him when he was, you know, a little bit at City High, but then his whole career at Iowa, I really liked him. And um, so, you know, I, I know some of these you know, I'm going to leave somebody out. Jake Gervas was great. Tristan Wirfs was great. I, so really, um, I'd have to say that I liked more, much more of the, the the people who cover or I covered here more than I disliked anybody. There's only that's a very select few over the time I've been here. What about the best non-Iowa athlete? Hmm. Favorite, my favorite. Well, I'd I'd have to go back to some of my days at, in, when I covered the Chiefs, and I. And uh, I covered them a, one year. They were 13 and three in 2003, and they had some great players, Hall of Fame players like Tony Gonzalez and uh, you know and, and Willie Rofe and Will Shields were in the Hall of Fame. But then also Dante Hall and Priest Holmes were terrific, and it, it got it was fun to get to know a lot of them and then be there for some really terrific games and uh, the the playoff game that year they lost at home to the Colts and neither team punted it's the only playoff game that didn't happen it was Peyton Manning and then it was you know Priest Holmes who scored 27 touchdowns that year which was the the record at that point um so you know I I, but usually and this happens a lot it's not always the most prominent players that you like or get closest to I mean there would probably be like an Eric Warfield who was a starting corner or Brian Waters who was a really good guard probably a hall of very good guard um you know you, you, you when you have open locker rooms you get to talk to people they talked and so you get to have better relationships with them than say a tony gonzalez who's a little more standoffish i can ask another question it's kind of unrelated but um i'm curious i think with with your experience dating back to the 90s and even a little bit before then um in in journalism um, to today as we're kind of going through the system and experiencing that, how do you see kind of the uh, status of and role of journalism kind of changing in the next, say, 10 years? That's, that's a great question because it has changed a lot even even since I was an adjunct here in, in 2017. I mean, obviously the advent of, of Twitter has changed a lot. Um, I go back even before the internet, which makes me ancient in this business anymore, but um, where it was a newspaper uh, 
society and newspaper tv and radio were the mediums now they're all pretty much underneath that of of online whether that's um, a written word or, or visual or twitter or x whatever we call it these days or or uh you know an opinion based and i think what you're going to see what you are seeing and what you have seen and will continue to see is there's going to be different functions within the platforms and i think you're going to see a, a craving for real news real reporting real writing and then there's going to be also an interest in the you know kind of uh you know, opinion-based blogging that that generates a lot of discussion from people. My idea, here's my idea. People comment. You know, a glorified version of Facebook type of thing, or Twitter. But um, what will not go out of style is the people want real news. They want it explained to them in, in the best pa uh, fashion as possible, and and they want to read entertaining stories and. You know, just because the, the magazine industry is kind of dying, the newspaper industry certainly is on its last legs, that doesn't mean that that's going to go away. The one question is, how do you monetize it? That's always been the, the question since we've gone into the online world and people started giving it away for free. And then it, it's made it very difficult to reclaim any of that revenue since then. Do you see yourself, I know growing up in Iowa, the Hawkeyes are kind of the epitome of sports here in the state and even in the region. Do you see yourself ever going any bigger than that? Well, now that I'm old at 50, you know, and I, I've really, I like where I live. It doesn't mean that, that I feel like I have to be just narrow in what I cover. You know, as, I, as I said, I, you know, I'll be around the NFL. I do write a lot of NFL draft stuff because it does marry the two sports. And, you know, I, I always had that as my aspiration was to cover the NFL. And I did that in the early 2000s. But, you know, you have to make life choices and, you know, hey, I've lived here now since 2006. I like where I live, and I enjoy different aspects of it. But, but I think in some ways you don't necessarily look at it as, as tiered, because you know, like college is inferior to the pros, or vice, or one is better than the other. I've seen a lot of college reporters who could write rings around pro reporters. A lot of times, it's just where they're located, and and con, you know, conversely, I've seen a lot of high school reporters who would be better than anybody at the collegiate or, or, or uh, pro level in reporting, writing, um, but that's just the choice that they made. And, and sometimes it goes to that even with coaching. I, I've seen a lot of college coaches. I mean, you, you know, take Phil Parker here. He could be a, the secondary coach for any NFL team and he'd be the best one on the field. He'd be the best out of those teams, but he makes good money here. He likes it here, he lives here. Uh, it's enjoyable. You know, Kirk Ferentz had many opportunities to leave. He chose to live here. And and I'm not comparing myself to them, but I do like where I've lived. Uh, you know, my, my kids now have graduated college, but um, I just, uh, I, I don't feel like my life would be over if I didn't get a chance to cover the NFL. I did cover Major League Baseball too, and that's just not my cup of tea. You want to bite back on that? No, I'm not. Yeah, it's a big it's, baseball uh, guy. Was, uh, it the, was it the Royals? It was. Yeah. Oh, we got a White Sox fan over here. It's okay. They're not, not necessarily division <laughs> rivals, but congrats on Bobby Witt uh, signing him well, to a signing him to a deal. Team, that's not, that's <laughs> that's your not, team. I grew up a Cubs fan. There we well, go. That's a shame. There it is. Anyway, <laughs> there it is. But I'll tell you this: the be, the most intriguing baseball game, two, I guess now baseball games I've ever covered was Field of Dreams, the first one. Oh, really? That was amazing, and. Uh, 
and the second one was in 2004 season opener which was in Kansas City between the Royals and the and the White Sox it was mm -hmm. seven to three going to the bottom of the ninth and the Royals scored six one on a, a, a three-run homer by a, a Mendy Lopez who hit about five in his career and uh, then Carlos Beltran hit a two-run homer to win it and uh, as I was standing outside the locker room getting ready to get in it was nine to seven I get kind of shoved in the back and my first reaction is to turn around and you know throw out a WTF you know and and instead it was Garth Brooks because really? <laughs> he was uh, you know he went to like spring training with the with the Royals and so just like for a couple of days hung out and he was there at opening day and so they let him in and I'm like what the hell and uh, so yeah uh, between that and then Field of Dreams because I by extension sometimes I work with our Chicago people and I would go to there was a couple years there where they wanted me to go to die cubs to write about somebody on a rehab assignment and, and then when the field of dreams games came both of them i did that story for for both uh our chicago site so what's the best best game and best stadium you've ever covered hmm. best game oh boy um <laughs> there's there's a couple of them i would say that i covered the season opener in 2002 between the the chiefs and the browns and it was 40 to 39 chiefs oh, wow. Priest Holmes scored four touchdowns. The most interesting aspect of this, and you guys should probably go on YouTube to check it out, was um, last play of the game. Trent Green was the quarterback for the Chiefs. He goes, to, he's getting sacked by Dwayne Rudd, and then just kind of tosses the ball behind him, about forty, his own forty-yard line to John Tate, a tackle who then takes off, runs all the way down to the twenty-five-yard line, but it's forced out of bounds. It seems like it should be over, um, but Dwayne Rudd, who sacked him launches his helmet and gets flagged 15 yards and I'm up there getting ready to write and I'm like oh man that's a personal foul it's on one untimed down they're going from the 29 to the 12 and a half and they got Morton Anderson as their you know as the all-time leading scorer in NFL history and I'm like they're gonna win this game and uh so that was a wild game I I think um you know as far as moments that stand out um I would say two recently one was um Anderson's home run at Field of Dreams. That was unbelievable. I mean, poetic. And it, it, there's really no words to do it justice, at least while I'm on a podcast. And then, and then, I'll go as recent as last week, seeing the the shot right. by Caitlin Clark uh, to to set the record. I mean, a logo three, 33 feet from the basket, and uh, to see and hear the environment. It was already at a fever pitch, and then. You know, it hit 116 decibels. I keep a decibel reader, oh, yeah. um, and uh, it was pretty much consistent there. You know, it just was a prolonged uh, moment. And so, you know, and there were so many. I mean, I've covered <laughs> thousands of games and some great at the high school level, some pros, and, you know, obviously Marvin McNutt's touchdown at Michigan State in 2009, Marshall Kane's 57-yard field goal to beat Pitt here. Um, they're you know they're they're endless but i would say in recent years the two that stand out were anderson's home run and up in dyersville and you know caitlin clark either the shot last year against indiana or or what happened last week so i've got to ask uh covering football do you have any hot takes for iowa football next season hmm. you know this is the one area that i tend to avoid I, i'm not hmm. as much of a hot take guy is most people i mean I'm not, I'm not saying i don't have strong opinions um i think they're in a better spot in a better location than they were three months ago 
I think they've got a long way to go when it comes to the passing game because I want to see, well, I want to see who's there, you know. I mean, if it's Cade McNamara, can he, you know, will an RPO offense suit his abilities to maybe throw more slants? God forbid you have receivers running in the middle of the field. Um, will they have more options for those receivers to run digs and slants to get the ball out of their hands in the middle of the field? And, and if they can, then I think this offense and this team has an opportunity to compete for a Big Ten championship game. Uh, defensively, they're as good as anybody else. You tell me you're on the Big Ten, other than Ohio State, you know, who who is Iowa that much farther behind? Oregon? Possibly, but Oregon's got to travel a lot. Washington has really fallen. They lost a lot of players. Michigan has lost a lot of players. Um, Penn State, good program, not necessarily elite. Iowa's in that competitive environment. I'm not saying Iowa's going to get there, but I think Iowa can can compete if they're if their passing game can get off the ground in terms of women's basketball do you think that this team has the ability to make another run and I guess what what do they need to do to have another you know final four run like last year this this team has the opportunity to get there I think matchup is going to be real critical for this team uh, what they decided to do in the offseason or not do and not pick up a, you know, not sign a center to replace Monica Zanano and basically go with a four-guard lineup, it works for what they, they're trying to do. I mean, they're based, if they can run their transition offense, if they can get up and down the floor and hit threes with regularity, they'll win it. They'll win the whole thing if they can do that with sustained success. However, if they get bogged down in a half-court uh, game and the other team will consistently score from the inside and that'll be very difficult and it's possible that they could be out in the sweet 16. So it, it's really going to come down to matchup. How do they perform against a certain team? You know, how how healthy they are, how fouls are called, all those things. There's a lot of intangibles that go on I think with them, but certainly what Iowa does so well is when they are pushing tempo and hitting shots what we see with their uh, like the field goal percentage defense, it's other teams get so pressured to try to keep up, and they know they can't unless they they start hitting threes. So they start quick shooting the ball, and then Iowa gets a rebound, and then Iowa pushes it, and then all of a sudden that's when you see the six point lead go to sixteen like that. And if Iowa can do that against, I think it can do it against most every team. What we saw, their their one loss to me that shows that they have an opportunity that. It, it could end earlier than we than you'd want was Kansas State because if they get in a half court game if nobody else is take, taking the initiative and they're just giving the ball to Caitlin and she's maybe off a little bit and you have a big post player uh, like Aoka Lee from from Kansas State then that's where they can run into trouble. Yeah, and <clears throat> speaking of them down low, like Goodman started um, at the beginning of the year. Now O'Grady is coming in. Um, a lot more than Goodman. What do you see from both of them? And I guess just yeah, what are your what are your thoughts on O'Grady versus Goodman? It's a good question because I'm I'm trying to figure that out myself. You know, I mean, is this with this team? Do they, uh, you know, who's better? I was surprised early in the year when I think all of us were, you know, because we thought it was going to be Addison O'Grady, and it turned out to be Sharon Goodman. And and I guess what I see is <laughs> innings eaters. You know, I mean, people who go out there, you hope they can score, get the ball, get a rebound. If they need to foul, they foul. 
but don't get just destroyed in the post. Mm-hmm. And they're going to need that. You know, when they go, if they play a South Carolina or, you know, LSU or somebody like that, they're going to need somebody to go out there, even if they don't score, just to take up space, just to get a couple rebounds, maybe foul a few times. And uh, so I, I think Addison's probably a little bit better as a scorer, but I think Sharon might be a little bit better defender or at least um, plays the position a little bit better as a position. Uh, but I, I, they're ne- neither one are in Monica Zanano's category, right. of course, and not to disparage them because I try not to with college athletes, but I, I think, again, if they get into a half-court offense mm-hmm. with regularity, and they're trying to move the ball, and if they can't, if they get defended the wrong way, it could be a tough day for them in an early exit. Does Kaitlin Clark stay another year? <laughs> that is a fantastic question that I wish I could get the Ouija board out and figure it out. But, but you know, here's where I'll, I'll kind of leave this: is if you're looking at it strictly from a competitive basis, she's got to leave. She's the best player on the floor and has been for three-plus years. And if she's only going to find somebody her equal or capable of competing with her at the next level, that's that's the truth. And she is a competitor. She's as great of a competitor as I've ever covered. Um, and that goes back to, I mean, Iowa football in the last 10 years has had, what, 10 first-team All-American consensus All-Americans, four of which have won national awards. Men's basketball's had two first-team All-Americans, one the twice won player of the year one was consensus and then you've had Megan Gustafson and some other great players on the women's side she's the best competitor I've ever seen at this level and maybe at all levels Um, so if she wants to she wants to be that competitive she has to go to the next level however how stable is the WNBA I mean what is the the WNBA is poorly run as an organization they and it's not because of the the money or how they treat their their, their players, it's, it's just a matter of the product and the hierarchy doesn't quite, hasn't quite figured out how to sell itself and work together to make it a better product. And Caitlin Clark, I, I've heard this argument all the time, well, she goes there, she's not going to be as popular. I think Caitlin Clark is very much capable of taking her star to the next level and bringing everybody to the Indiana Fever games. And then when she goes on the road in Minneapolis or, or you know, to, in Yukon, or Connecticut or whatever, she's very capable of, of taking her star everywhere else and selling those places out. How, what's the reception going to be and what's the league going to do? How are they going to cater the league to her? Because with all of those people in there, um, they're going to need to promote the league. And, they're, and the players need to react to her in great fashion because what we've saw from Cheryl Swopes and Swoops and some of the others, uh, they all need to buy in. They all need to understand she's a star. She's taking this game and elevating everybody around her in so many different ways. Don't cut her at the knees. Elevate her. Prop her up. Be her advocate, and she will be yours. And then young young people, you know, and older people who go to these games will look at it and say, absolutely, I want to come back to this game. I love it for Caitlin Clark, but I also love it for Aaliyah Boston, and I love it for Sabrina Ionesco. I love it for all these players on the floor for the other team or my home team or whatever. They need to work together. And the NBA, WNBA has struggled with that. If they can do that, Caitlin should absolutely go. And she will take the WNBA from being, you know, a mid-level league that's poorly run to one that will be must-see television. And I think that would benefit everybody, and especially the next generation of women's basketball players. 
All right, we're going to transition into the spring sports, talk a little bit about baseball, softball team. Um, the baseball team, they had their earliest home opener in program history. They played on Tuesday against Loris. It's been like 50 degrees outside this week, which is great for this time of year. Um, I always, I mean, I just think it sucks um, being a big, like, well, one being in Iowa, but just being a Big Ten Midwest team right now during baseball season when it's this type of weather. Like, SEC teams get such a big advantage, um, and Iowa barely gets any home games because of the weather usually, so it was cool for them to get that experience on their home field, but they won 20-6. to The offense was great from the start. And uh, a lot of a lot of different guys, bullpen guys, got the opportunity to pitch, which is always good. Um, that was not their first game of the season, though. They went, they played in a tournament. Um, I believe they lost once to. I don't know. They lost one time, and won their first two. I think so. I think they're like three and one. Um. But they have very high expectations this year. They're picked to win the Big Ten, which hasn't happened since 1990. And, um, but yeah, their weekend rotation is very strong with Brecht, Marcus Morgan, um, and Obermuller. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think what, what has been Iowa's downfall and like, the past few years when they haven't made the tournament it's because they drop games like midweek games that they absolutely should win mm -hmm. and so that just can't happen I mean that kind of already happened over the weekend yeah. it was against like Lehigh. Lehigh yeah yeah um so I don't know I mean one game it's just one game but those add up so I don't know but I'm excited to see how it goes the rest of the year, and John Leo is now a busy, busy man on the radio for them. He calls their games, and he's awesome. I love listening to him. Softball, on the other hand, they also played their first tournament last weekend. I, I couldn't. I, I think they lost 2-1-2, two, two. Um, and then they're going to Florida this weekend. Um, they also have some pretty high expectations. Last year was the most single season, most wins in a single season in program history. Um, and they did lose some veterans like Nia Carter, but they had a lot of returners and they had like five freshmen start last season that are back. Um, and in terms of pitching, they have some really strong um, pitchers. So I don't know, I'm hoping to cover some more softball this season. Um, Hopefully it'll get a little bit warmer out because when I covered softball last year, my toes and my feet were numb because I had to sit out in the stands and it was absolutely <clears throat> terrible. But yeah. I mean, but baseball and softball, I am very excited for baseball and softball season. Not a good pace right now. Basketball, basketball's still going on, but baseball is more of my thing than basketball. So I'm ready to transition. Hopefully after the Iowa women win an Addy. That would be crazy.
I thought they were going to. I'm not as Now you're not. Okay, because two weeks ago you were like, oh, you think they're going to win. Confident. I think they've Ohio shown Ohio State, I mean, no, they have, absolutely. They've shown uh-huh. some weakness. That Michigan game should not have oh. been 20 points. It should have been. It should have been. They still, they, were, they no, won like, that by halftime, though. There was so. First quarter was over. Because how many points four. did Caitlin Clark have at halftime? Right. 31, 35? Oh, yeah. When I was watching at home, though, I was like, okay, like, we're <clears> celebrating <throat> Clark's record, but y'all, the game is so close. Like, it would like have been crazy if they lost. Yeah. It would have been crazy like, if they lost that no. game. It would have been like Devin Booker's <laughs> seventy point I game, been, yeah. I mean, and then everyone's like, "Yeah, but you lost." That yeah. would have ruined the whole entire night. 100%. Would they still have done the same? All the stuff. That I mean, been it would have crazy. They would have been. Would have been so. But every post game press conference would have been, "Yeah, but I think we should have won." Yeah. Yeah. No. That would have been my recap. Terrible. We're talking a lot more about the game there. There would have been a lot. The press conference probably would have just been twice as long. Yeah. I don't know. Um, the track and field team has Big Tens this weekend. Yeah. On Friday and Saturday. Sneaky program. I they're pretty good. They're, I know, but it's just they don't get a lot of recognition because right. it's a small sport. But right. Historically, they're pretty but good. yeah, they're like, pretty good. Um, like, top Thirty, top twenty. Yeah, they're definitely going to be near the top of the Big Ten. I know they're they're. I mean, obviously, they're going in ex- expecting to win the Big Ten. Um, so we'll see how that goes, but they have a lot of solid, solid athletes on the track and field team. I agree. Um, other spring sports, um, volleyball released their spring schedule a couple of days ago. They just have like four. They have like four different dates in April. It's like at Iowa State, at Drake, at UNI, and then there's one at home, and it's against like three teams. Just back to back to back. So I don't know. Chris will probably go to that and cover it. But other than that, there's not much. There's not much happening. Thanks. Done. Done. Sort of yeah. for you guys, yeah. not for me. It'll, yeah. It'll be oh, I guess April, wrestling. Oh, Women's wrestling goes to Indianola on Friday for regionals. Are you gonna be there? No, because um, it starts at 10 a.m. and I'll be coming back from Indiana. Brad has class, so he's also not going. He's just going to write something from home. Where is it at? Indianola. Indian. What? It's at Simpson College. There's six different regional sites. I don't know why. I don't know why it's there. Where is Indianola? Um, like 30 minutes from Des Moines. Okay. In which Um, direction? (laughs) Never before. Sorry. Visualize the map here. Like. Right, is it north or south? Above or below? <laughs> I think south. Okay. Is it to the right or to the left? Oh, fuck. I don't know. Okay, so it's below Des Moines. It's to the south. It's like toward the airport. Like, it's this? south. Indian Nola. Indian OLA. Indian-O-L-A. I don't know where the airport is. Okay, yeah. But um, they go there, and the top... Man, I, let me look it up. I don't want to be wrong. Just like to tweet about it. Okay. Um, so... As you know for the National Moon Classic. There are six regional sites this year. Iowa women are at... Indianola, the top four finishers in each weight class advance to the nationals. 
which is in Cedar Rapids. So there should be, it should be like Iowa home advantage at the national championship. Um, so Iowa can send up to 15 athletes. Um, and you can only like send two athletes in five of the weight classes. Otherwise it just has to be one. Um, and yeah, so basically they are wrestling for, to get to nationals. Um, so it's a pretty big deal. They won the national championship, uh, duels that was in Cedar Falls, but this is like the tournament now, not duels. Um, men's wrestling final regular season match is on Sunday at Oklahoma state, which would be very tough. Oklahoma state is undefeated and just uh wrestling there they have a really hostile environment iowa and oklahoma state have a long history so that'll be interesting i do think keeter and gabe arnold both have um another match to wrestle before burning their red shirt so i do think that they will wrestle against oklahoma state and how they do there will kind of determine if they're going to be wrestling at big tens and nationals but wrestling season has gone by super fast and yeah everything i mean everything is about to be big 10 tourney nationals for like wrestling basketball Mm -hmm. so it's gonna get kind of crazy saw abasada at dc's over the weekend (laughs) did you he was in like a suit for some reason he was talking to a girl in like sweatpants or something i don't know she was beautiful though but (laughs) i went up to him i was like abe Community, or not community corrections, criminal punishment. He's like, yeah, I remember you. I was like, all right. Criminal punishment. I was like, hope you're doing well, dude. And I walked away. Oh, okay. I didn't want to on his game or whatever he was doing, but he definitely was feeling feeling okay, which is good, good for him. So. Alrighty. Goodbye, everyone. Thank you for listening to this episode. This episode of Pressbox Banter is hosted by Kenna Roaring, Colin Voxmeyer, and Matt McGowan, and produced by Natalie Dunlap.